We have been thoroughly ministered to by you this week. And I know that because I have gained five pounds. No, I'm serious. I did not eat all day today. I'm still full from yesterday. It is awesome. Uh, I want to uh, give us ample time at the end to pray. And so believe it or not, the study we want to look at tonight is a little bit short, shorter on purpose. I really want to give us ample time to pray over our ministry calling. Um, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm not that tired. I mean, I want all the blessing, but yeah, this week has been crazy. We've been, I've, I've been running out of steam. Sunday night, I've been running out of steam about 10, 1030. And then I, I've been waking up about two, studying to about five, go back to bed, get up at nine. And then we weave our schedule and through lunches and hanging out and visiting. I just, we just wish we could fit you all in. And so for those, I was just like, listen, I'm sorry. You know, next time, next time. And keep, our, keep, uh, keep an eye on our schedule. Uh, obviously, you do not want to miss what's going on here. I love it. I mean, we really do. That's not one of my weaknesses. I don't lie. If you want to know what you look like in that outfit, I will tell you the truth. <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I'm a man, of the, I'll speak the truth. So you don't want to miss what you got going on. You are blessed. This is, you, you are so blessed. I, I, I talk to pastors. Yeah, you realize that, right? I was getting on listening to the, to the YouTube. I was listening to him preach. I listened to the worship. That is, it's, it doesn't change. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. Pastor Nate broke a toe just a couple weeks ago worshiping. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> that is so good. That never happens. <laughs> Seriously, man. That is insane. And I tell people all the time, I run into churches like yours very rarely, just on over the top. And I'm like, you know, Come with me on the road. You will come sprinting back here. And I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna keep saying it till you believe it. If you don't grow, it's because you just don't want to. Seriously, it's just you don't want to. Um, so it's been great to be here. And uh, I wanna share with you tonight, one last time out of James. And it's just fantastic material. And if I can give you kind of a, uh, just a where we've been and a quick synopsis and lead us up to the passage we're gonna look at. Um, what we've really embraced with, with, the, uh, with James' letter to the first century church, uh, and there's several things we just really didn't get to this week because it's such a, such a large, such a large uh, pill to swallow, you know, that James and the impact this letter made on the early church, the kind of platform that he was given, if you can imagine that, to address the global church of his day. I mean, the global church of his day, which at this time obviously was Jewish, but you know, he had that kind of platform and authority, and he's just addressing them. And, and in the first chapter, he just lays out the message. And the message is, is really centered on this transition, this fulfillment. And it wasn't that the old covenant was bad, because we're, gonna, we're, we're looking at tonight, uh, like we did last night, some of the heroes of the old covenant. I mean, there was, there was I mean, to be with God in an old covenant hour was wonderful, but the, the beauty is, is that's, that's no longer even available. This, to remain like this on purpose, is sin. I mean, it really is. It really is. It's sin. Because there's a whole, not, I mean, he came that you might be reconciled with him. And that's not a, a spiritual elite for pastors or ministers kind of thing. That's common 
average, everyday, ordinary, Christian, birthright. I have that. I, I can walk intimate with him. So throughout the entire first chapter, he's laying out that this transition where in the old covenant for 4,000 years, God, this holy and righteous God is reaching out to an unholy and righteous people. And it's really important. We didn't go over the scriptures like we did last time when we were, we might do that next time. But what we were, what we dealt with, what we dealt with this time was that in the old covenant, everything, we really explored this last time, but in the old covenant, Everything that was going on was not just for the sake of what was taking place there. It was preparation for the, for the new covenant hour in which we're going to live. And you say, what do you mean by that? Because that sounded really, I need to say that better. If you go back to the old covenant and you look at all these stories they were, and all these events, all these people, they were used as, I mean, God was just weaving in, weaving in these kind of nuggets to describe and, and, and to foretell of what was gonna take place in a new covenant hour. Several of these, one of my favorites uh, is, the, is the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And it's during the feast where he's been flipping over tables. And I mean, in John's gospel, and it's always, I always found that was neat, in John's gospel, the cleansing of the temple happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it happens at the end in, in their portrayal. And scholars that oftentimes bantered back and forth, which is it, and was there a mistake, and is there a reason? Conclusion I've always come to is I just think every time Jesus came to Jerusalem, he did something crazy. <laughs> Seriously, every time the dude stepped on the scene, he's throwing something through some window. I mean, he was just a whole nother level, intense. And this is in the middle of that, that week where just people are just, their eyes are popping out of their skulls because there's a different human being, not just miracles, but the way that he talked, the passion that he lived with, the focus, the intensity he was a man filled with God. First one since Adam. So he's in this conversation with Nicodemus. You can read all about it in John chapter three. And Jesus is trying to describe what God is doing in the hour in which Nicodemus, is lit, Nicodemus lives. And he finally looks at, at, uh, at Nicodemus and he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. If you go back and look at that, and I, I always find it fun, just for fun stuff, for guys like me who don't have a job, to go back and read the rabbinic scholars on certain events, because we, like, we have commentators, they had commentators, and that whole snake in the wilderness thing was just odd. It was weird. And if you remember the story back in Numbers, the people's hearts are going back to Egypt, which, of course, we oftentimes say, well, I'd never do that. You know, I'd never long from the, for the things that God once delivered me from as a dog return, returns to its vomit kind of stuff. And so they were longing for the things that they'd been set free from. And just like today, when your heart leaves, when your heart leaves God, it's the playground for the enemy. And so he comes and God's protection is, 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 is pushed out and you have all these snakes coming in and everybody's dying. So Moses comes running up to the tent of meeting. He's like, we got a snake problem. And God's like, here's what I want to do. And Moses is like, oh, dude, listen, just kill the snakes. Just call the orphan man. But God never does that. And this is so neat with the Old Testament. God always goes through the just weirdest routines to get things accomplished. You know, here's what we're going to do. You're like, oh, my word. 
God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go have the best craftsmen among the people of Israel. Bring them here. I want them to make a snake, just exactly like the one that's killing everybody. I want them to put it on a pole, and I want to bring it back to the tent of meeting. Moses goes, gets it done, brings it back. God says, I want you to stake it before the tent of meeting. And he says, anytime anyone's bitten, which means he's not taking away the snakes. Anytime anyone's bitten, they can come and look at the snake on the pole, and God is going to say, I'm not going to let that, which is a symbol of your rebellion, I'm not going to let that produce death in your life anymore. Not going to do it. It's not going to produce death. Jesus, look at Nicodemus and says, what do you think he was talking about? Just as the snake was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up. And all of your past, all of your failures, all the things that only you know about, God says, I'm not going to let that produce death in your life anymore. And God, literally, you find in the Old Testament, he's just looking for these opportunities to talk about Jesus. Which is beautiful. So the, the entire Old Testament was just God just, I can't wait till we get there. He longs for this in your life. He's not this rule kind of, he's let me save you. He never wants us to walk in defeat and never. We've been created to be spiritual giants. And I do, I think oftentimes we as Christians just live way so far under our potential. We become these irrelevant people in our world. Irrelevant people in our world. When in the first century, in the midst of having their heads cut off, sawed in two, nailed to crosses, within 200, 312, within 300 and, that's not true, 275, 80 years, Christianity was the world religion. I mean, they were just spiritual, just savages. Incredible. So we have, which is, by the way, the Hebrews writer in chapter 12 calls them the great cloud of witnesses. If you've ever read that chapter, it's all those people in the Old Testament that are saying, dude, you are so lucky. God practiced on us to give it to you. Our life was bended. Is that a word? Our life was bent. I'm from Tennessee. We talk like that down there. <laughs> Our whole life was changed. He just wove all of that to teach us. That was an old covenant hour. And so when you come into James chapter one, if you were to just, we're not gonna do it tonight, but because we're gonna hurry. <laughs> but if you were to go through the first chapter of James and you were to look at some of the language like persevering, overcoming, all this language, Dude, that is so different than what you heard in the Old Testament. We participate with him. In fact, if I were to just give you one little piece, and I've been trying to give you a piece of it um, every night or every time we gather together. In verses 16 through 18, we already looked at this, verses 16 and 17. He says, listen, don't be distracted. There's a different standard of good. That's, you're gonna have to read the word, like become obsessed. I give my, I use sometimes feel weird about giving myself an example because honestly, I'm just normal. Uh, and my wife's gonna get me on this, but I'm up here. 
But I've, I've, one, one of the things that attracted to me, besides she was beautiful, was just the passion that she had. And like when people learn about, it's funny, when they learn about what we went through in early in, on in evangelism, I've had women that are like, oh, you're terrible. I'm like, oh, I got you. Gee, it's her fault. Like she was just as driven as I was. And the first, we were talking about today, the first year and a half of evangelism, we lived full time without an apartment, without a house in a Ford Escort on the road. <laughs> and then we moved into a minivan. So it was like, whoo. I mean, we were living large. And we didn't get our first house and move into it until 2013. We had our kids on the road. Like, pull into revival. She goes in, has it. On Thursday, Saturday, we get back in and go to the next church. <laughs> She's a savage, man, I'm telling you. I mean, that's, I'm just, how bad do you want it? I do, and I know, I'm never pushy, and I never, I, I use this platform very, very judiciously, but I hear people say, oh, man, I want my kids to be saved. How, how bad? Come on, how bad? Boy, I want my grandkids, how bad? I want revival come to my city, how bad? Come on, really, how bad? See, what, the way we want God to move, there's a whole nother because he's not going to entrust this to this. He's just not. You won't survive. That was so good, Joe, by the way. Joe Logie. 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 We, we don't. No one knows. No one knows. No one knows. But God's not going to give this to this, man. God's not going to give this to this. So he says, listen, don't be distracted. This, eat the word. There's a different standard of good that you're called to live by. Not moralistic society stuff. A whole different standard of good. Then he gives us that standard, which I didn't give this to you, and just in three quick words, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. The word chose means planned, which again, that plan is in Christ. He's already planned for you, just waiting for you to. And then to give us birth is in the original language, one word, it means engendered. So he not only planned for you, but he engendered you for that plan. You're so unique. You're so valuable. There's no hierarchy in the king. I don't know where we came up with that. Ordained elder does not mean more significant. I mean, I'm telling you. We're all equal. One, part, one body, many parts. The eye cannot say two. To all of us have been planned for that we might be a kind of first fruits, which literally means foundation by which our world is changed. You are the groundwork. You come to be literally transformed and, and, and delivered and made whole. And then we unleash you every Monday on your world. That's, that's the body. That's normal Christian stuff. And I do, I go to churches and you do, you wonder, and I'm not dumb. I watch the Facebook, I hear from the people. What, what's gonna happen? See, what's gonna happen? The potential we have. I, had, I was telling the pastor, I had so many calls today on, on uh, uh, through, not calls, but messages from Messenger and my, my website from my email and oh, all this stuff was hitting me all day. People just saying, wow, I'm called to ministry and I work at the office. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, dude, that's so good. I wonder what you looked like today. Just walking in and saying, well, we're talking about that tonight. 
chapter one, chapter one. That's the message. When you come into chapter two, like we've been looking at, there are certain issues that the enemy is gonna throw at you. Why? Because he does not, he does not care if you come to church. I'm absolutely convinced he loves church people. Really, really loves them in leadership. This is the cancer of the body of Christ. I'd rather you be anything else than this. Seriously, anything else. I talk to people and, and, and we've talked about all the, some of the, and they call me charismatic, which they haven't even seen, they haven't even seen Nate. How would they call me charismatic? But they call me a loose cannon, all this stuff, and well, Jeremiah, the problems that comes with that, I will take all of those problems over these problems. Any day of the week, man. Seriously, any day of the week, I'll take them. You come to churches, I have them like this, I look at them and say, listen, do anything else. Well, what if I don't even care? Just start heading in a direction different from this. I don't care what it looks like. Because anything's better than this. Anything's better than this. So these are the issues that he's dealing with. These are issues that are pulling us away from him. Pulling us away from him. That's, that's, the, that's the number one attack of the enemy. He's okay if you're this. Doesn't want you this. First issue is that of sin. We beat that to death this week. Just don't say no to Jesus. It's not rocket science. If he comes and puts his finger on your life and says, I, I, man, I don't want this in your life. And you say, well, hey, too bad. Just don't be a Christian. It's not for you. Because it's a whole nother level. Because this is all in or all out stuff. Now, the issue we're looking at this evening, what we're talking about, is in verses 14 of chapter 2 to the end of the chapter, which is the issue of, my translation says, faith versus deeds, but it's really the issue of religion. It's the religious person, which is this guy, it's posing to be this kind of a guy. It's this person posing to be this kind of a person. And they use all the right terminology. It's the whole, Jesus says they're so intertwined that, man, it's so, it's so difficult. They're going to be separated at the harvest. So you can't pull up the tares. It'll kill the wheat. I'll settle it. I'm going to separate them. The sheep are going to be separated from goats. And many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. But not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, gets in the kingdom of heaven. And there's going to be guys that say, I preached, I healed, I prophesied. And Jesus is going to say, we weren't this. We weren't this. So are you tight with him? Are you tight with him? And it's interesting, as we go down through this passage, he says stuff like in verse 19, which I'm not even sure if we mentioned this this week. You believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. To say you believe there's one God in their culture, Judaism, from this framework, a Christian framework, has dissolved and been reborn in Christianity, the new covenant. There is no old covenant. The new replaced it. So when you say, in their culture, I believe in one God, you're saying, I have correct theology. I believe Jesus. I believe. I, I believe the whole deal, that he came to die and, and for my sins. And, he's, and I believe all of that. And James says, who cares? So the demons believe that. Well, I believe God exists. <laughs> I would expand that to say, well, I go to church. So I give money. So, are you like this? 
So he's going through all the issues that these religious people give to justify this legalistic lifestyle. And the, the issue we looked at last night, and we're going to skip verses 22, 23, and 24. But he gives the issue of Abraham, which is my absolute favorite in verse 21, because Abraham was a catalyst. It's like, Father, he's the one started it all. And he's so prolific in Judaism. I mean, he's one of their heroes. He used all, and that's why, folks, he's used all over the New Testament. Because he came out of, he came out of the group that holds him, this group that holds him as their, as their big deal, which is so bizarre because he was righteous by faith. The law had not even been given. And he was a catalyst in his world. And God literally, and what James tells us is God had to pull him out of all of the religious stuff of his day. Because it gets so twisted. I end up talking with people over things like fasting. I'm a huge, I'm a big fan of fasting, but I'm not a big fan of fasting. I'm a big fan of fasting. Well, what's the difference? See, fasting is me coming to God and saying, hey, man, I really, really, really want this. Give it to me, and I'm not going to eat until you do. My two-year-old used to do that. You should just hold your breath, too. That's not fasting. Giving money is not tithing. It's not. Singing is not worship. Coming to church is not coming to church. And you can go on and on and on and on and on. And so he takes Abraham right out of their culture and uses them as an example of what God accomplished. And, and literally, God had to strip him. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to worship me in the only way, you, the greatest of the way you know. And then he interrupted that and said, we're not doing that. Because in their culture, offering a child was a manipulative effect. That's what all the kings of Israel did. I really need to get his attention. How do I do it? Oh, I know. If I just up the ante, he'll have to listen to me. That's not Christian. God's like, that's not... See, I'm not here for you to pull me into your plan or bless your plan. I'm here creating you to pull you in my plan. I've got a plan for you before the foundation. I chose you. I engendered you that you might be a kind of foundation. Verses 16 through 18. So that's what he's, that's what he's doing with Abraham. So he's the catalyst. Because through Abraham, obviously God is going to bring, this is so beautiful, and I'll say this quickly and shortly because you can get carried away with it. I can get carried away with it. But through Abraham, a whole new group of people emerge. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who becomes Israel, who has 12 boys and some girls clustered in there. And they literally take over Cana, Israel, Judah, got all 12 tribes. There's all kinds of turmoil. through. But literally a whole group of people that are no more, hear this, now, and again, they're back in this kind of relationship, but they're no more spiritual giants than you or I are. He's the, see, he's the X factor. God is the X factor in my life. I'm a normal dude. I'm a normal guy. He's the X factor in my life. It's just that in the old covenant, all these individuals were literally, they become catalysts in that they were a part of the transition to bring a Messiah Savior into a world. 
That's so huge. That's why we can, in Hebrews, we can go back to Abraham and say he was a catalyst, just like you're a catalyst. Now, he was a catalyst in this environment where you're a catalyst in this environment. I don't want to lose you on this. But if you think about it, it's like really good. Like this is really good. Two different relationships with God, equal catalysts, which is why we can look at them. Because Abraham was a catalyst. Why? He was used by God in this context. But the context you're going to be used in is a whole new level. Please buy that. Please buy that. Because you're his housing. You're his housing. I know, dude, isn't that crazy? Someone needs to make a, sh- a shirt that says, like, I am ministry or something like that. Or, like, my whole framework is going to shift the way that I think. And they could sell them for like $15 wherever they go. In four sizes at a church near you, right in the back. Just to, ter- just to remind them, dude, wherever I go, he goes with me. He's so good. He's so good. So as he's a catalyst, this is what, this is what James is trying to say. Listen, you know, religious person, you know what a catalyst looked like. You know what it looks like. Abraham was the event where literally eternal significance happened in an earthly setting. And he was an example for those who would inherit salvation. You're like, that's really good. Yeah, I quoted it from Hebrews. Yeah, that's what it says. These guys were the witnesses of those who would inherit salvation. God let them demonstrate it in their time that we can demonstrate it in the middle of our workplace. Isn't that good? Down at the factory. You can be a catalyst on a whole new level. So last night we looked at, see last night we looked at Abraham as an example of what a catalyst is. He was a catalyst in his world. He's the example. He was not there to manipulate God with all of his religious fervor. He was, God just said, listen, let me plant you. I'll provide the sacrifice. I'm gonna plant you at your job. I'm gonna plant you in your family. I'm gonna plant you in your neighborhood. Just let me use you. Well, what talent do I have to have? None. Look at us. Seriously, people look at me and go, wow, they're getting desperate. (laughs) They're scraping the bottom of the barrel, man. I'm like eking through. But that's who he's always picked. (laughs) Isn't that hysterical? This is 100% truth. I'm at 100% no embellishment. Or close. (laughs) When I got saved, honestly, I'd, I'd been around church and I'd peeked in the Bible and all that. But I begin to read through it, and honestly, honestly, this is true, I remember at college, and right before I went to college, reading the New Testament, it was, and I've always been a big reader, and it was an anticlimactic story. The Messiah would come, and he would be betrayed by one of his own. Hello! Look who he picked! Ignorant fishermen! Tax collectors. Surprise. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. It was a joke. He didn't come and go to the seminaries. He went to people who couldn't possibly pull that off. 
They'd never been 50 miles from their own house, going to all the world. Well, no wonder they freaked out. I'd have freaked, I, I still freak out. The Gideon types, the murderer Moses. Samuel, it's crazy. Samuel shows up at Jesse's house. Dude, the next king's coming from your family. Dude, Jesse's like, I've been saying it. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Gets his boys out here. And they're strapping lads, wasn't they? They're strapping lads. And he goes to each one of them. He's like, yeah, he's not here. You have any more? And Jesse's like, well, there's David. David, true story. Google it. Okay. <laughs> David is performing one of the female duties in the house because he's not a man of age yet. <laughs> he's a girly man. <laughs> he's out there. And Jesse's like, go get him. And they're like, you're kidding me, right? Like the, they look like all your ushers, all of, all of Jesse's men, okay? <laughs> right, all your, and then there's, then there's, I won't say it, I won't say it. It was like that close, Joel. And then he goes, <laughs> and then he goes, he says, listen, go get David and bring him in. And David is this little pipsqueak. And God says, that's the guy right there. Every one of you should say, I fit, man. There's room for me in his kingdom. Go into the byways, get the beggars, get the poor, get the undeserving, bring them in. Set them at my father's table. We fit in that group. You are a catalyst unless you don't want to be. You're a catalyst unless you don't want to be. And if you don't want to be, stay out of church leadership. Get off the board. Because you're going to cause division. There's multiple divisions. You're going to cause division, and you're going to prohibit the church from being what it's supposed to be. Stay out of leadership. You're always going to have people that are not interested in being catalysts. Get it. But you can't be in church leadership. Can't have a voice. Because every single one of us were created to be a catalyst. We were surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses that says you're going to be held accountable. And it's not about church attendance and tithe. Before the foundation of the world, he knew you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He engendered you. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. Yeah, but my past, but Jeremiah, my past. Nothing in your past is gonna limit what I wanna do in your future. That is so good. That, that's our message, man. That's what he's talking about. Now, what I want to look at with you this evening, just quickly, is Rahab in verse 25. <laughs> this is such a good story. It's one of my wife's favorites. This Rahab, it's such a good story. Rahab is the fruit of a catalyst. See, what does a catalyst produce? What happens when a catalyst is cut loose in their world and they become the event? Again, there's nothing special about the catalyst. They blend in. Paul, bold when he was away, timid when he's with you. Jesus, who had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Come on, the issue is not how good the catalyst is. They are the event where a divine holy God moves with an internal impact in their life, in their world. That's what a catalyst is. We literally are the platform for eternal divine moments. I've been, I've, we've happened, we, it's happened in our family this week. Where we, we, we literally encounter individuals who are just so ordinary. 
And divine encounters happen. Bah! Changes the trajectory of our life. Dude, I love that. That's why, that's, I love that. I want to be the event where your life is just... Rahab, it's an interesting story because both how he talks about it here and the story that he picks, you realize there's only a few lines for Rahab. Most of what I had to dig up was in Jewish history, which some of it's sketchy. Seriously, it's just, it's history. It's, it's commentary from the rabbinic fathers because she was such a scandal. Listen to how even, this is great. If you've ever felt like you're on the down and outs and you don't fit in, you are gonna love tonight. Listen to how he talks about Abraham. I mean, he gives Abraham one, two, three, four verses. And then he comes to Abraham or Rahab and he does this just to shock religious people. Anytime you can talk about prostitutes around religious people, you have to do it. <laughs> just work them into any conversation, even if it doesn't fit. Yeah, we're going to McDonald's. Prostitute. Because <laughs> they freak out. Because they don't belong in this system, but they belong here. Former drug addicts. We belong. The dredges of society. You belong. You fit. That's such good news. You don't hear that anywhere else. You have a permanent place. Not on the fringes. You don't go to heaven. In a trailer. On the outskirts of town. You're a daughter. You're a son. And he says about Rahab. He says, in the same way. Hold on. You mean the glory Abraham had? Yeah. She's in the lineage of Jesus. Hold on. Like great, 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 great grandma? Yep. In the same way. The fruit of a catalyst. The measure of redemption that can come through your life makes you so valuable. You don't understand my kids, Jeremiah. No, you don't understand where I live. Do you know who I was? You can Google that too. Rahab, in the same way, and then he, I love the grammar, which we won't go into, in the same way, even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous. Same language as Abraham, nothing different. For what she did, she gave lodging to the spies, sent them off in a different direction. Really quickly, three ideas. Turn back with me to Joshua chapter one. I'm gonna look at this story with you. Because this is the backdrop, and James doesn't like, you know, extrapolate because they know the story of Rahab, even though they try to forget. And he brings up three ideas. The first is authority. <laughs> this is so good. The first is authority. He begins and he says in verse two, well, verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, to his aid, Moses' aid, he says, Moses, my servant is dead. Direct communicators, gotta love it. <laughs> now then, you 
And all these people, get ready, it's coming, gonna cross the Jordan River into the land that I'm going to give them. Battle's already won, it's already taken care of, plan's already laid out, step into it. Now remember, now hear this, we're talking about catalyst. This applies to you. So everything you're hearing, this applies to you. They are the witnesses that are yelling at you. What we are, I'm, I'm telling you, what we are describing here is what should be happening in our workplaces. It's already yours. Step into it. I'm a child of the Most High God. Good morning. May I take your order? I'm here. I'm going to spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of who He is. I'm here. Especially those of you who have occupations where you lay on hands. Oh, isn't that awesome? Seriously, you chiropractors? Man. It is, man. It is. He says, Moses, hey, get them ready. You're getting about to step into what I've already given you. He says in verse three, I will give you, <laughs> listen to this, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Let, just let it run. Hold on, they went to their house, but when they went to Walmart, yes. Yes, I take spiritual responsibility. Jesus, when you need to wake someone up in the middle of the night for prayer, I'm here. Well, that sounds pretty, I know. I want spiritual responsibility for Walmart. Pray for once a week in the mornings when I make it up before I go to work. Seriously, do you see what I'm talking about? Do we sing songs like this? I think we should bar songs. And just stick to some that are just way down here. Honestly, we're heaping judgment on ourselves. That was the old idea of communion. If we're going to ask for this, he's going to pull us. I, I do. I believe with all my heart, he will give you everything you ask for. But get ready. Seriously, get ready. It's a dangerous thing to respond tonight and say, Jesus, I give you permission to do whatever you need to do. Are you sure? Seriously, are you sure? It would be easier for you. I'm telling you, way easier to let them and die, to, to let them out there die and go to hell. I'm telling you, way easier. He says, everywhere you put your foot, yours. You are the sons of the most high God. He's not come, this is not, you're not a retirement community. This is not a safe haven. This is not a bunker waiting for him to come and rescue you. We're taking it back. I'm taking it back. Seriously, we go into a place and say, you cannot, enemy, you have no authority here. Sorry. Go to St. Louis. I shouldn't say that. I gotta come up with a, I gotta work that out different. Put that in my notes. Say, you, yeah, you can't, man. You can't go, go somewhere else. Go to Michigan. <laughs> That's worse. That's worse. Hey, come on. We're taking Worcester, man. Seriously. Pick a store. You get Walmart, Fine. I don't, that's all I want to know. <laughs> but hey, I, but be careful. 
Be careful. Wherever you set your foot, verse 4, your territory will extend. He tells them. I mean, he says this incredible. Your territory will extend from the desert. You're like, where's the desert start? Dude, it's all desert. I know. To Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you. All the days of your life. This isn't a season. I know. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you. So he says in verse 6, be strong and courageous. What does that mean? Overconfident. Verse 7, because sometimes Joshua is known to be ADD, he says, be strong and very courageous. He brings in at the end of verse 7 and into 8 about the law. Man, just don't let, don't let my word. And the word was not law. The word was the promise. It was the revelation of who he is and how good he is. Just immerse, man, just immerse. And in case you forget, at the beginning of verse 9, be strong and courageous. There's probably another one down somewhere. Oh, there is. Verse 18. Be, only be strong and courageous. That you and I can walk with confidence boldly into the throne room. I do. I think the enemy wants to come and he wants to, he wants to lie to you that you are insignificant. When, when, when tragedy hits your life, oh, I just need to call this person to pray. You can pray. Dan Bohai, it's a true story about Dan. You guys know Dan. My, my, uh, this is a few years ago. I called him and he was coming through. He was coming through Indianapolis somewhere close and my sister, uh, her husband, is a paraplegic and he was going into this huge surgery and it's a long story and it was terrible. And I called Dan and I was like, hey man, I was wondering if you would go by and pray. He was like, why do I have to? I was like, that's not the right answer. You're like, Dan Boai. He's like, you're Jeremiah Bullock. Hello? (laughs) That's not far off. He's like, I'm just a normal guy. Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Wouldn't it be something if we lived like it? Authority. So the whole story of Rahab it's really about, she's the fruit. Got a couple lines about her. The real, the real deal of what James is trying to say is Abraham was a catalyst. And he had literally, the, the, he, had, he started this whole line of people who were not, they were all as bonehead as he was. Talk about family drama. Look at Jacob's family drama. They got rid of one, tried to. Dude, come on, they, this isn't picture perfect family. But he had this whole line of people he set them on that became the literal event of eternal significance in their world that shaped our our day. Authority. We're to walk in authority. The second aspect is the character. This this is going to go really quickly, actually. When you go back and look at the story, Rahab is just the fruit of that eternal significant people that God gave tremendous authority to walk in. So much that I could walk in and just watch the walls fall down. There was no superhero stuff. 
You mean I'm just going to go in the middle of my office and stand there and just, yeah, and just, wow. And you're going to come to church on Sunday saying, dude, he is good. He wasn't kidding. He is good. What'd you do? I just stood in the middle of my office and loved him. Just prayed. I just stood in the middle of my office and said, I may be the only one, but come. Come on the power of who you are and transform it. I'm available if you need me. That's what he's talking about. Character. Really quickly, when you go and look at the story of the spies, there's a couple of key terms that you're going to get in the actual story, which were, if you go back to Joshua, we'll just look at this really quickly. What ends up happening, they go in, where is the passage? Okay, chapter 2, verse 1. This, what happens is Joshua comes in and he sends in spies. And I think this is so neat. Because they get in this long conversation. They go into Jericho, which because it was key. And they go into, and, and the text tells us, uh, in the middle of verse 1 of chapter 2 in Joshua, so they went and entered the house. In Hebrew, that is not a term for house. It's literally an establishment. And it's, it's meant to pinpoint that Rahab was an exile even among, among her own family. Because even in that culture, a prostitute was, an, was not accepted. It was, a low level, it was a low level lifestyle. And I did all kinds of research on Rahab. I learned a number of things. One, I learned that she was one of the most beautiful women in the entire city of Jericho and known for her beauty in the history of Israel. Are you with me? I mean, tremendously beautiful. So beautiful, the stories, the research that I'd done, which I believe is really accurate, was that she was so beautiful as a young girl, the king of that land took her in, her, in his home, but he was not able to marry her because of her lowly station with her family. She was not noble, and so he made her a concubine, which he had several. And he used her for a period of time until she got older and was no longer valuable or, worth, or, or worthy. And then he released her. And she was exiled from her family. She was not allowed to move back in her family's house. So she did whatever she had to do was to survive. And she opened up a brothel. And she was literally put on the outskirts of the city next to the, to, to the city walls where the, where the, the visitors, the passersby, and, and they even list some of the people that was visiting there. And it was, it was dark. It was, it was that kind of a place which was a place where two spies from the people of Israel could come in and hide because everybody's without being noticed. But what's interesting is they entered the house and the text said they stayed there. And even our, even our American modern day scholars looking at this text notice that they stayed there. They did not employ there. This is so good. We have phenomenal authority we should also have phenomenal character. And she, they come into this house. This is so good. They come into this house, and they don't use this woman. And every scholar says, and you can, again, you can Google it. You can research it yourself. Every scholar says it's a big, big risk for her to, on a whim, two spies, hide them, make up all these lies, confront the king's army when it comes, and say, I'll take this little thread, leave it out the window. Will you save me? Yeah. 
Like she's going to leave that whole thing. The motivation for that is she sees two men who comes in who are an entirely different character from all of the kingdom which she lives. And she says, can I go with you? If this is the character of your kingdom, and if this is the character of the men of your kingdom, I want in. You are going <laughs> to, this is so good, you're going to go into the world in which you live with phenomenal authority, and they're going to see your character. And they're going to want what you have. Because they're not objects to you. See, your eyes don't focus where their eyes focus. You don't make, see, you don't see with outward countenance. We call that favoritism. You don't have to be, see, in our youth group, everybody fits in. Everybody. Rich, poor, we don't care. Because we are men and women of character. That's why it matters. Because his whole aroma is going to spread through your life. Which is why, folks, you cannot live in rebellion against God. Because you demonstrate a character that's not him. And there's going to come a day when it's just not going to be easy to hide. God wants to give you phenomenal authority. And he wants to demonstrate, for you, demonstrate through you tremendous character. And that's why she left. She said, I bet, dude, it is. There are going to be people that are going to come, they're going to say, I, I, you know what John said in his epistle? They're going to know you by your love. Not by your correct theology, not by your riches, not by, I've been to churches that are as dumpy as this joint. <laughs> it, this doesn't matter. It really doesn't. They're gonna know you by your love. Why do you go there? I'm loved. Dude, he loves me. He crawls over seats and I, admit, I feel like I belong. He cares about me. Character, do you have that? Phenomenal authority, phenomenal character. And the last thing we see in the text, which is, uh, at least to me is so evident, the fruit of the catalyst people is literally Rahab. This is so beautiful. Because of the authority the kingdom of God has, because of the, the authority that kingdom people have and the character by which they operate, they literally become the event where a lost and dying world inherit their own eternal destiny. Rahab. And all of a sudden we realize that she wasn't just a used, beautiful woman. Her identity was not in her good looks. Her identity was she was to be in the family line to bring the savior of the world. In fact, the history, what I could find is she ended up marrying one of the princes of Israel. I forget which, I think it might have been in the line of Judah. But she was of the prince, or Benjamin, one of them too, whichever one Jesus is from. I should have done my homework. But she ends up being among the prince. She marries a prince of Israel. I mean, she's in the faith chapter of Hebrews 11. See, the idea of you being used to win a lost world is not about growing a church. That's so self-centered. It's about walking into the, into the settings of our, of our town and saying, dude, he has so much more for you. 
He's got a hope and a future for you. You're not just a, a bus kid. You're not, just, you're not just a number on the way to some goal. You have eternal significance. And you know what? The body of Christ that he's raising up in this community is not gonna be the same without you. And that's not just really clicky language. That's not just really clever. That's truth. You literally can be used. That's, that's what's so beautiful about being a parent. Being a parent is I begin to be the, I, I can be the foundation. I can become the eternal event where my kids, once I hit my ceiling, will take off. That's so good. That's so good. My ceiling is going to be where they take off. And that's what we want. Would you be that in your world? See, I don't, I don't come, I don't, we don't want anything from you. We want to help you. Um, each and every one of you are called to that kind of, you're, and, and I know what you're going to say, you're going to listen to me, you're like, that sounds super weighty. It's life changing. It's life or death. And I'm telling you, in not a fear, not a fear daunting way, you will be held accountable because you've been filled with him. This is nuts. You've been filled with him. You're not just some member of a church. You've been filled with him and are the life-saving event. You are called to be the life-saving event where others find what you have. I, I want in, man. That, that's our passion. That's what she does at the dojo. She looks at all these little kids, just breathes life over them. All the inner city kids we, we work with. Rahab found her, her eternal destiny. She wasn't just rescued. Well, she wasn't used anymore. Yeah, but that's incidental. Seriously, that's incidental. In him, your abuse becomes so far, it's like, what? That, that's not who I am. So you don't become someone who's patched up and stopped bleeding. You become a new creation. That's, do you see how that fits together? Would you, would you, do you realize what's at stake? This is why Thursday, tomorrow, is just as significant as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. See, Sunday should be out of control. and It already is, okay? I don't see how it could get worse, but, or better. Flip that. I don't see how it could get better. But Sunday should be the place where you come, and it's a big day. You know what Paul said to his churches? Take turns. Take turns testifying. Take turns prophesying. Good night. One at a time. Because we should be showing up saying, Pastor, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe what he's doing in my backyard, in my home, at my workplace. Revival broke out down at the Ford plant. Seriously, wouldn't that, that's not far-fetched. Where's your church? Worcester. No, I mean, which church? Worcester. The city? <laughs> We're working on Ohio. I think this word starts. It doesn't start from one little church growing their numbers. Woo, look how good they're doing. It's literally launching. Come on up, Nate. Jesus, we want to pray. We want to sing. We want to rejoice. 
We want some freedom tonight. So last night, we got work tomorrow. We got kids. They got to be in school and in bed and got to get up early, and we get all that. They said at the 24-hour, for the week-and-a-half duration of the Asbury Revival, that sleep was not necessary for some reason. That your presence is better than our schedules. We had many of us respond last night to our calls to ministry. We want to do that doubly. Tonight, would you clarify? This is our ministry. Most of the people I talk to, if I'm called to ministry, now want. Go. Words will be given to you. Just go love them. Get to know them. Then they're in a relationship with them. See, they didn't just come and free Rahab and stock her cabinets with groceries and go on to the next town. They brought them in their home. She became one of them. That's so good. Because we're going to meet people in our world that don't fit in anywhere, that have been hurt, and they're not going to look like us, and they're going to have struggles that we don't have. You, you fit here. You belong here. You're not a bus kid. You're not, you're not someone who's visiting. You're not like, okay, you're not a part of the core. Come join us. That's what membership is. You're part of the family. You have a voice. You're valuable. I want to be used in that kind of manner in other people's lives. I, I want to be used to remind the church of who she is. I want to come alongside the pastoral staff and just speak blessing over them. I want to be the event where the word of God goes forth and people find their destiny. They find their place in the body. They embrace their gifting. They find freedom and deliverance. And they become an absolute wrecking ball in their kingdom. Where prayer teams are no longer 15 and 20. They're 250 and they're 400. Where thousands are literally entering their city as undercover missionaries. They don't have to go to some foreign country to find a place to build a church. They build it right down there at their local factory. They build it on the job site with the construction guys. They're coming in 15 minutes, 20 minutes early every day. And it's zeal, it's passion. Because wherever they put their foot, Jesus, you give spiritual permission to operate. They become the event. That's where the event's gonna happen. And they walk there in phenomenal character. Restoring destiny. <laughs> That's so good. Restoring destiny to those who have no hope. That's what Jesus did to a woman named Mary Magdalene. Phenomenal authority. Tremendous character. Restored her destiny. That's what you did with Jeremiah Bullock. That's what you've done in countless marriages that's been restored. Do it tonight. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Some of you here maybe need to have destiny restored. You're a missionary, you're a preacher. You need to respond tonight. Come now. Seriously, don't wait around, come now. Hey, tonight's the night. 
You're going to go home and say, Mom, I not only got saved, I'm called to ministry. Are you going to Africa? Nope. Walmart tomorrow. I'm walking up and down the aisles every day. It's not a motivation by money thing. And some of you need to take spiritual responsibility for your neighbors, for your neighborhood, for the swimming hole that you visit during the summer with your kids. Hey, Grandma and Grandpa, for that single mom who lives across the street from you, who desperately needs a senior adult old man to become the fix-it man, to become the lawnmower man, to become the person that comes over and says, listen, a couple days a week, stop playing for daycare, you can't afford it, drop your kids off at our house. We'd love to watch them. We'll brainwash them with Jesus while you're gone. Come on, let's, let's take our communities. You, you could, this is not wishful thinking, this is reality. This is the season. Wherever you put your foot, high school students, would that be something? Revival breaks out, it's all over the news. Revival breaks out in math class. Woo, finally something worthy to do in math class. Do you feel what I feel? If you'd like to come and pray tonight, I want you to do that, but let's just let it happen. Let's tell him how much we love him. And do, pray, pray tonight, say, Jesus, open my eyes, lead me and guide me. Put the person, put the person on my mind that you've called me to. Give me the words, not just to get him to come to church and that they'll stop this. Literally, give me the words to speak their destiny over them, who they've been created to be before the foundation of the world. It's my prayer. Lord, there are so many Rahabs in our world that are so valuable and beautiful and they've been flushed down the toilet. I'm a Rahab that's been redeemed. You are so good. You are so good. Pour your favor on this church. Pour your favor on this staff. Empty buckets of your blessing. We want to worship you tonight, Lord. In your name we pray.